0: What's up, everyone? Good morning, and welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're joining us here in person or online, and uh, especially if it's your first time uh, joining with us this uh, this Sunday, we're just really happy to have you here with us uh, on this morning. Uh, I'm going to pray for us real quick, and we will get into our sermon. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to come together in uh, worship on this beautiful morning, God. Um, I know in Minnesota we we get to live with uh, some crummy weather sometimes, and that's hard, but we also get to experience uh, the joy of spring coming and of of summer coming eventually, God, of of good weather kind of replacing the bad, of of life replacing death, and uh, we just thank you for that opportunity because it's such a beautiful picture of the gospel and what you do for us, and we get to experience both of that. And I just pray this morning, as we kind of do feel that, um, and as we gather here this Sunday morning, um, I may be feeling a little, bit, a little bit of extra pep in our step because of it. God, that you would just, uh, you just be with us, so you meet us this morning um, in our, in our gathering and in our worship, Lord, and through this, this sermon as well, God. We pray this in the name of Jesus, Amen. So the other day, I was at the gym, and I was, like, doing a squat exercise, um, which is to kind of, you know, work your legs, like, different muscles in your legs. And, like, halfway through the workout, like, I kind of noticed I had some tightness and a little bit of pain in my lower back from from it. And so I quit quit doing it, and it kind of bugged me all week long. And so I was talking with Julie, like, well, what what was, like, you know, the problem here? And, you know, I don't know for sure, but my best guess was probably something like, I, you know, during one of the reps, I just, I wasn't actually engaging my legs, I was engaging my back somehow. I was doing the lift wrong, and, like, apparently now that I'm getting older, that, that, like, bothers me a lot more, like, having stiffness in my lower back for a whole week because, like, I messed up on one rep of a squat, which is not a a fun thought to fathom, um, but it's just the reality I live in now. Okay. And, and so maybe you've experienced that before in workouts you've done. Uh, I know Julie is really into Pilates and sometimes I'll do Pilates workouts with her and she'll spend a lot of time correcting my form. She'll be like, you're engaging the wrong muscle here. You're using your back or some other muscle when you're supposed to be working this muscle, right? You're supposed to be getting at something like deeper. That's like a harder muscle to engage, And I think that's a good kind of analogy for us as we kind of connect with God. A lot of times we might use certain parts of ourselves to engage with God, but we're not kind of going to the depth that we need to, like engaging the certain parts of us. And, um, you know, this series is about us sort of connecting to God, you know, wholly with with all of us, um, with every part of us to kind of find the wholeness that is supposed to come as we follow after the shepherd. And for like the last few weeks, especially, we've been really digging into what you might call our internal world, like this part of us uh, that is kind of at our depths that we can kind of be exploring and exploring and exploring for the purpose of then connecting that to God, and today what I want to talk about is how prayer, I want to get into prayer today like in this series. And 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 prayer is like the main window I think from our internal world back to God. And we have to learn how to pray from our depths. Kind of from that part of us as well and not other parts of us so that we can kind of find that wholeness. And so today is this kind of an extended reflection on what it looks like to kind of truly and fully offer ourselves up to God in prayer from our depths and why that matters for us, how that connects to us having wholeness as we follow the shepherd. And I think this seems like common sense, but I think when we really look at ourselves, we often find we're not actually engaging the depths of us to God in prayer. We might be getting by on some other part of us in our prayer and letting that do a lot of the work for us in, in our prayer life, when really we should be asking, how can I go be, be going deeper? How can I be finding more depths of myself uh, to connect with God? And so to kind of like, uh, help us understand like, what that looks like, I want to uh, first just walk through what are called the five levels of intimacy. I think this is a pretty common way that you, know, you you can find it on a lot of different places, a lot of different websites, to talk about relational depth and communication, Okay, so the five levels are safe communication, that's level one. Uh, Level two is others' opinions and beliefs. Level three is your personal opinions and beliefs. Level four is my feelings and experiences. And then finally, level five is my needs, uh, my emotions, and my desires. Now let me give an example of what it would look like to sort of engage with someone uh, from you know in these five levels, and we'll use what's going on in U- Ukraine and Russia right now as kind of an example about that. Okay, so like talking with someone about this at level one would be sort of like talking about the weather, right? Uh, wow, can you can you believe what's going on in Ukraine and Russia right now? It's pretty crazy, right? It's just sort of like connecting at a very high level. Like there's something going on over there. Level two. Another person's opinion would be like, well, I saw like a, a military expert on the Russian military on Twitter who said they think that Russia will soon exhaust themselves. So like, you know, they think this thing is going to come to an end. All right, so you're still not really getting anywhere with yourself with this person. You're talking about what someone else thinks. Next would be personal opinions. You might say, I think it's terrible that Ukraine is on their own right now and no other countries are coming to help them, really. Or, I wish more countries were doing more to help Ukraine out. Okay? This is kind of my, my opinion on it. Going a little bit deeper than that, though, to level four, to my feelings and experiences would be, you know, I know that this is probably a bad idea, but seeing those Ukrainian refugees makes me really think that the U.S. should send troops into Ukraine. Like, this is what I would like to see out of this situation. This is what I'm feeling right now. Um, And I'm connecting with those people's experiences. But behind all of that, right, a level deeper, you could go and you could find out well, what's at the heart of it for this person? And it would be something maybe like this I feel scared when I see this stuff going on in the news. It gives me fear and anxiety to know we live in a world where one country can just invade another country, you know, unprovoked, okay? And now we're starting to get to the depths of someone and like where they're really at with this thing, like a felt need or a desire around it. And that place is really hard to get to with other people. Okay, it's really tough for us to sort of do that on a regular basis. So now assume that this person is praying about this issue. Okay? Let's kind of take those, this is what they think at all these different levels, and let's consider what their prayers might look like to God. Okay? Let's say that you are praying, God, please help these Ukrainian refugees, or God, please bring an end to this war soon. Think about what level you're praying to God about with that you're getting to like level two maybe, right? That's kind of where you're at with that, with God. That's what your communication, your connection uh, with God is. Instead of kind of really going all the way to level five and saying like, God, I feel fear. I feel an existential threat to myself and anxiety over this, okay? How often do we actually go and pray that level of how we're feeling to God about things? How often are our prayers sort of staying at level one, two, or maybe three, if we're honest, and I'm speaking for myself in this, like we would probably say we're spending a lot of our time hanging out on those first few levels instead of really praying to God in our depth. Now, by all means, I'm not saying don't pray that, that kind of stuff, okay? So don't hear me saying that. But I am saying that when we only go a level or two deep in our prayer life with God, we're, we're like partitioning parts of ourself off from him. We're not connecting to him wholly, Okay, And it matters for us to sort of plumb our depths, to know who we are, so that we can connect that to God in prayer. And this is important because if we don't do it, it's going to leave us unsatisfied and the deepest parts of ourselves are going to feel unheard. In a book called Cry of the Soul, um, authors Dan Allender and Tremper Longman, uh, they call our emotions, he said, when we're feeling an emotion, like we should recognize this is a cry within us that is asking to be heard by God. That's how we should understand our emotions or our deep, deep thoughts. And when we don't bring those to God in prayer, we're not letting them be heard by him. Okay, That's like us working you know, certain muscles but not others, and we start to feel pain because we're not working the right muscles. Right? It kind of alerts us that there's something going on here that we sort of need to go deeper. We need to understand in depth. Okay, And so when we're praying with God, I think it matters for us If we're feeling certain things to understand maybe we need to try, that alerts us we need to connect this to God in some way. Okay? That's going to lead us to wholeness. In all of our different aspects of prayer, we can be doing this, okay? Like, what is prayer is a question maybe you're asking here. And I would say even when we look at, like, kind of all the different facets of prayer, we can find we can be connecting ourselves to God in different ways. Now, this this is a common way that people will use to kind of break down what's happening in prayer. I have an acronym called ACTS adoration, confession, thankfulness, and supplication. Adoration would be worship or praise of God. Confession would be, you know, confessing to God, repenting, turning from sin in ourselves. Thankfulness would be uh, reflection and gratitude for something. Supplication would involve our bringing requests, praying on behalf of something uh, before God. And, And when you think about these, think about how like, they all imply some sort of internal emotion or thought we might have to God, like properly understood. So if it's adoration, we're bringing awe to God, right? Like a sense of like, you are bigger than me. Like, like I feel like I lose my breath when I think about who you truly are. That's true worship or praise of God. If it's confession, You might be bringing guilt or embarrassment to God. That's a deep, deep emotion we might feel associated with our sin. If it's thankfulness, we might be bringing joy or excitement or or gratitude or pleasure or contentedness, right? That's what we're bringing. That's the emotion behind that that we're bringing to God. If it's supplication, we're bringing a feeling of need or a desire for something, a felt need that we're lacking something. And I think, you know, all of this goes. You know, in addition to the one thing I would say this Acts model of prayer is missing, which is lament. So we would be bringing our sadness, our heaviness, our dejection, our sorrow, our anger, our rage, our fear to God in, in, a, in a prayer of lament. For us to really pray authentically and genuinely to God, I, th- I think requires us to really reflect our internal world and think about what we're bringing to God. Now, We get a clear example, I think, of this, of engaging in our deep parts of ourselves with the prophet Jeremiah, and he has a lot of prayers of lament throughout his book, as well as the book of Lamentations, which tradition kind of ascribes to him as well. And Jeremiah, in a lot of ways, is like us. He's trying to follow after the shepherd, okay? He's obeying God, and for him, that looks like being a prophet to uh, the nation of Judah, which is kind of, Israel's been split into a couple parts at this point. So he's witness, or prophesying to the uh, nation of Judah in the 500 and 600s BC. And this is a picture of Jeremiah that has always kind of grabbed my attention. It's from the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican. And he looks different than the other uh, prophets and whatever, all these other people that are on there, because he's like clearly in distress, okay? He, 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 he looks like he's maybe even crying, okay? And this is sort of like how Jeremiah is known as, the weeping prophet is how people sometimes have in history uh, talked about him, okay? Um, And like that makes us uncomfortable maybe sometimes. Again, going back to that book, Cry of the Soul, they say, in many Christian circles, passionate emotions are discouraged as unspiritual. You are considered godly if you can handle difficult trials with a detached and apparently unruffled confidence, Jeremiah did not get that memo, okay? He did, he did not know that that's what a good Christian does. It's kind of like, don't let anyone know you're struggling, right? And just kind of appear unbothered by everything, okay? Jeremiah is not afraid to let you know he's bothered, okay? Um, and, and he, like, his work spans, we can understand why when we look at his story. His work spans 40 years He is prophesying in the midst of three different kings in these many different periods in the life of Judah, but all with the same message kind of throughout it, turn from your course to avoid disaster. And that's sort of the the refrain, the constant refrain throughout the book. And so his ministry is filled with the intensity and extremes of human life. Okay, the book kind of ends with us understanding that he's been ministering on the verge of one of the greatest crises in the whole biblical story of Israel. Invasion, occupation, dealing with puppet kings and deportation, all of this stuff is on the horizon as the book moves forward. And he's a prophet who's been commissioned to deliver this hard news, which is really the kind that gets you death threats. It gets you like actual assassination attempts on your life. That actually happens to Jeremiah multiple times in the book. And for 40 plus years, despite all this, he keeps heading to the temple, like a prophet would do when people are gathered there, uh, delivering God's words to them over and over with little to no impact. Over and over and over again you can think of it like this. He's like, he's like a survivor from a plane crash in the Arctic, and he's trying to get a fire started, okay? Because he can see the sun is setting. He can see night closing in. The shadows are creeping closer and closer, and he knows soon it will be freezing, and the wild animals will be out hunting, and surely rip him and the other passengers to, th- to shreds. And if they can't get a, liar, a fire lit, they're sure to die from that, or if they don't freeze first, like This is the sort of, like, this is the sort of uh, feeling of tension that he feels throughout of this. But no matter how hard he tries, the hearts of these people will not light, no matter how many times he strikes the match, all while he sees disaster looming on the horizon. Yet God had said, go light this fire. That had been his commission for 40 years, and he sees it not coming to fruition. Like, imagine how upset you would feel if you had been doing this over and over and over again to, to feel like at least nothing is happening, you don't think he's afraid right now? You don't think he's mad at God even? He's not feeling some turmoil or anger or desperation within himself? Of course he is. If he wasn't reflecting that to God, he wouldn't, like something would be wrong with him, right? He wouldn't be speaking honestly about the situation if he didn't reflect that. But that's exactly what he does. And we find this several places in the book. But this is one that always has stood out to me, just how directly he says what he's feeling to God. You deceived me, Lord. This is Jeremiah 20, verse seven. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and you prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone walks me. Okay, note those two things he says. I was deceived and overpowered. Now, these words have a range of uses in in the Old Testament. Deceived, the word pata, can mean seduced or enticed, and it's used in all sorts of contexts, and I'll let your brain wander uh, from there. Um, Hazak is the word for overpowered. I couldn't resist. I had no choice. You asserted your will onto me. I was pushed into this even if I didn't want to do it. You leveraged me to do something that I maybe didn't even want to do. Okay? This is, this is raw. This is him saying, essentially, God, you enticed me to be a prophet and then you essentially have abused me in this role. That's what he's feeling and he is he's praying that to God right here. Jeremiah is not compartmentalizing himself. This isn't like him just hanging out at level one or two. Like, he is going right to level five with what he's feeling here. He's not giving God the sort of Minnesota like, I'm doing good. You know how like, in Minnesota, we would say I'm doing good if like, we were talking to our neighbor and our house is on fire behind us, right? We really love to tell people we're doing good. Jeremiah is not having any of that, okay? He's giving God some, some sass from level five, perhaps, you could say. And we'll talk about this, like, you know, like, because this might make you uncomfortable, okay? I want to get into, like, what he's saying here, how we should think about it, but I, I just want us to note first, like, even if this does make us uncomfortable, he's putting himself in front of God. He's letting the cries of his soul be heard here. He's reflecting to God honestly how he's feeling, and he's connecting the deepest parts of his inner world to God through his prayers, Now, like I said, this might make you a little bit uncomfortable, but I think there's a lot for us to learn. It's really instructive for us. Okay, so the first observation here, and we've been kind of talking about this throughout, but it's that prayer is not a place to withhold the deep parts of your internal world. I just want you to think about how how futile that would be anyway, okay? Like, first off, like, God knows us already. That's part of what it means for him to be God, And there are verses in the Bible that we find that kind of make it clear, like this is not the the kind of God who you could hide parts of yourself from, even if you really wanted to. So you find lines like this in Psalm 139. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Or in Luke 12, Jesus is saying this, the very hairs of your head are all numbered by God. That's something you don't even know about yourself, but God knows it. Okay, so if you kind of, you know, you, you do think this, right? Like, it, it should just kind of be clear that, like, if God is really this, then hiding our inner world from him is not going to work. It'd be like a kid building a little, like a, you know, like a, like a five-year-old kid building a snow fort with a, with a little wall that kind of goes up to their chest and hiding behind it, thinking they can hide from their parent. When their parent is like, I can see over the wall, I see you right there. right? That's kind of what this would be like for us to try to partition ourselves off from this. Like, What are you accomplishing by trying to hide certain parts of yourself anyway? You might as well like, be honest with God. He knows what you're feeling anyway. So why not reflect it to him, even if you're uncomfortable with what you're feeling or feel some shame? And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Um, so we should be willing to do it. Now, I think a reason sometimes that we can hide parts of ourselves that we should be aware of is, is that we are actually offering stuff to God, stuff that might even be emotions, but it's not necessarily like genuine or authentic. It's, it's something fake. Okay, and Jesus talks about this in Matthew 6, 5 to 6. And when you pray, this is right before he tells, tells us the Lord's Prayer. He says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So he's talking about people who are like out on the street corners. Like they're very emotionally praying their prayers to God. And he's saying, like, if that's what they're doing, like consider who their real audience is. It's not God. It's the people around them. And he's like, yeah, they got the reward. People got to see them. They see how, you know, pious they are, how emotional they are. And that's what they're actually out for. All right? But that's not offering up a real emotion from your depths to God. That's offering up something you want other people to see, some sentiment or something like that. And I think, like, like we can do that oftentimes, too, in how we sort of, like, signal certain parts of ourselves to the world around us. Like, You know, it's good for us to be aware of issues in the world that are going on, offering up some prayers or sentiment, and letting people know that we're aware. I think that matters. But I think sometimes, a lot like our sentiment, our action, and even our prayers—if we're being honest—they're maybe for the benefit of other people, right? So other people will know that we're aware, that we feel something, that we like feel like we're supposed to feel, but might not actually be genuinely feeling ourselves. We want to let people know we're the right kind of people but we're not really praying anything authentic and genuine to God. And I think it matters for us to like, uh, you know, look deep into ourselves to, so that we're not falling into this trap of offering to God some false emotion or some emotion that's really directed at some other audience, okay? Because God can't do anything with that fake emotion. Like, What's he supposed to do when we offer that to him? Right? We're not really connecting to him in any way. We're not praying to him if you think about it, where we're, it's for the benefit of somebody else, okay? So, I, I mean, like, we, we have to ask ourselves, like, you know, what are we actually offering to God, and what are we actually offering to other people? He can do something with a real emotion, something that's really coming out of us, even if it's, like, misdirected in some way, or tinged with, with sin, or it has some impurity in it, okay? I say, it, even if that's true, and you know that about yourself, it is better to instead offer them to God as they are, even if raw, even if unprocessed. And that reason is this. The reason why is this. It's because God can take our emotions no matter what they are. Okay, God can take whatever you throw at him. Now, like, like, like I mean, a- another reason that we might be afraid to offer to God what we really think or feel is because like, we think he might not be able to handle it in some way. Okay, like we think, oh, we might be too intense for him. He might be offended by our prayer. He might not be able to handle it. Okay, think about this. What kind of God would he be if he wasn't able to handle you at your most intense, right? Like you're not gonna scare God off with your big emotions, okay? I don't think he's that kind of God who runs because someone is, is freaking them out a little bit. I know we can be like that, right? If people, someone comes to us and they have some big emotions, that might freak us out a little bit, you know? Like, I can see that in myself at times with people where I wasn't sure how to react to something and, and people can sense that. God is not like us, okay? He can take whatever we throw at him. Yes, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, but don't give yourself too much credit, that you can somehow overpower God with your emotions. Now, I realize a lot of the times that this is more subtle than I'm presenting it here, okay? And so think about this. I think oftentimes we unknowingly might fear that if we offer something you know, that might be sinful to God, something that feels like it's over the line to Him, or something we're afraid that you know, it is too much, that He might catch us in that and judge us. Right, or maybe it's something we're afraid to admit that we ourselves feel, right? Something, uh, whatever it is, it's I was prideful. I don't want to admit that to God. I had a thought that was I might be racist or sexist or, or or crosses the line in some way. It's it, it's you know deep down I wanted to harm someone I love, and I don't want to admit that to myself, and especially not to God. Okay, because I'm ashamed, and I'm afraid of God knowing that was in my heart just now. And admitting it to him is admitting it to me. And I think what happens there is that shame kind of becomes like a cloud where it sort of limits our actions, and it makes us resistant to really being willing to kind of go into our depths and see what's actually going on down there. Okay, I think in these moments, if, we're, if we think that, that this might be going on here, it's important for us to reflect on who God actually is. Who is the one that we're offering this too. And we say this a lot at Red City. God has spoken to us in Jesus. And if you want to know who God is, we should start with Jesus. Okay? There's a lot of depths to get into, but start with Jesus if you want to know who God is. And when we start to Jesus, who God is starts to become clear to us. Okay? And this is like you know, it seems like a theological point, like an abstract point that a lot of times you might think, how practical or helpful is that to me in my actual life? But think about the practicality of how, why this is important here. This is not just like theological mumbo-jumbo that God has incarnated himself in Jesus or revealed himself to us in Jesus. Okay? This is actually an on-ramp for us to connect with God because we can see clearly who he is. And what we see about God when we look at Jesus is this? This is from Hebrews four fourteen to sixteen. I'm taking the translation from the Message here because I really like the way that it's framed. It really is easy to connect with. I think we don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is uh, so and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. Okay, God knows our pains because he has lived them himself. That's what it means for him to have taken on human flesh, to have experienced the full range of human emotion and pain and suffering. Okay, He understands it. This is not someone who, you can't, who can't empathize with us because he himself has done it. At his core, he has felt and experienced whatever we might be offering to him. And if we go further... Where was the place, or one of the places at least, where he experienced so much of this? Well, it's the cross itself. Well, when we understand God as the one who goes onto the cross for us to bear our sin and evil and all the grief that comes with it, we are looking at a God who can take our emotions, even if they are tinged with sin or impurity in some way, because that's what he wants us to do, is to cast that onto him so he can bear it for us. That's what it means for us to cast ourselves onto him. So why wouldn't we do that in prayer? He is a sin-bearing God. That's what we know about him because we start with Jesus. So that means we can offer ourselves up to him no matter what's there, without fear of shame or of offering some sin to him, even if that's mixed in there, we don't know how much of that that might be there, that's okay because that's what he has asked us to do in the gospel. So we should not be ashamed to do that. He wants us to. And I'm not saying to treat God with disrespect or disdain, okay? Telling him what's going on inside of you doesn't mean you have to lecture him and tell him all the things he's doing wrong. Right? Read the book of Job and see how God responds to him when he does that. <laughs> okay? And don't just assume that, you know, just because it came out of you, it's gonna be acceptable or pleasing to God. All right. I think that's a lie. We can tell ourselves sometimes that anything that comes out of us is is totally good. That's not true. There is gonna be stuff that comes out of us that is impure, that has got some. Is tinged with sin in some ways. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't still bring that to God, bring our deep emotions and thoughts to him, um, because he can take that stuff and turn it into something new. Now, let me give you an example of what this looks like. Okay? From the perspective of someone who maybe, deep down, they're feeling rage, right? Anger. Maybe like Jeremiah might have been feeling at times towards the people of Judah. We, we know that when we read the book of Jeremiah, he certainly felt this at times towards his fellow uh, uh, Judahites. And this comes from the book uh, Exclusion and Embrace by Miroslav Volf. It's such a fantastic book. Uh, and what he's doing here is he's offering a reflection on rage from someone who grew up in the middle of these civil wars that were going on between the people of uh, Yugoslavia and Croatia, okay? Really awful uh, race wars that were going on, uh, kind of before a lot of our time, but uh, really intense stuff. And and he kind of had to write this book, he felt like, to reconcile his own views of forgiveness and embrace of people when stuff like this can be at the heart of it sometimes. So here's what he says. It's a bit of a longer quote, but it's really good. For the followers of the crucified Messiah, the main message of the Psalms, he's talking specifically about the Psalms here, is this. Rage belongs before God. Hidden in the dark chambers of our hearts and nourished by the system of darkness, hate grows and seeks to infest everything with its hellish will to exclusion. In the light of the justice and love of God, however, hate recedes and the seed is planted for the miracle of of forgiveness. In the presence of uh, of God our rage over injustice may give way to forgiveness, which in turn will make the search for justice for all possible. What he's saying here is is rage, which might be hate, right? Can sometimes come out in hate, can only turn to forgiveness when it is brought to God. If it doesn't, if it stays hidden in some way, or it's brought forth but only as 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 in an unhealthy way, as a sort of mirror of what's been done to this person towards the other person, if that's the only way it's coming out, it's not being brought before God in some way, it's just gonna fester and lead to more evil. It's not gonna stay there. It's gonna come out in harmful ways and just keep the pattern going. Instead, he says, if we bring it before God, that allows it to be touched by his grace and his love bringing it before the one who could have rage against humanity, people who are always starting wars, always corrupting God's creation and each other, going their own way, hurting themselves and others in the process, it should give God the right to respond to us in the same way, aggrieved, right? Wronged in some way. But that's not who God is. He doesn't respond to us in that way. He acts towards us in love, in forgiveness, and in true justice. When we bring our own feelings like that before God, then the work of transforming our feelings into what God has done for us can actually happen. In this case, it can go from being hate to forgiveness to justice. Justice being you know, what we ultimately want to see in this scenario, okay? But it has to go through this process of being transformed in us from rage or maybe even hate all the way to, um, to to justice. When we hide it, it just prevents that from happening in us. Okay? It just consumes us. And we very often become uh, like the one who has hurt us when we do that. Okay? Only when it is named, when it is brought into light and is cast on the sin-bearing God, can it be purified and made new. Now, sure, God can cut our hearts right without us intentionally doing it. He can come into someone's heart, enter into it, transform it, make it new, okay? But more often, more often, it's hard for something that, to be melted when it remains in the sort of deep, dark freezer that our hearts can be, right? It can be so hardened, right, that nothing is going to melt that. We have to be willing to pull it out of the freezer and bring it before God so it can be melted. Let's return to Jeremiah here, Okay, he has brought his cry from his depths uh, to God, right? This, this thing that needed to be heard in him. He wasn't afraid to share that with God, and doing that allowed him to start the process of being whole, okay? Because he's not being half of himself with God. He's not offering up to God something that he actually isn't deep down. He's offering God something that he is fully. And the cries of his soul find an ear in God, Now, he offers to God something pretty intense, right? Something that we might be uncomfortable with, maybe over the line, okay? Something that is is really harsh to say towards God. But throughout the book, we see God taking his heart, hearing it, giving it acknowledgement, when necessary, purifying it, making it new, making it into something better, which is often turned back into a love for these people of Judah, which leads him to be willing to continue to bear this burden, to shoulder this burden of carrying God's message to them, despite their hardheartedness. And while in moments like this, it sure sounds like Jeremiah is about to give up, he never does that. He sees it through to the end, throughout 40 plus years of this. This honesty with God produces fruit in him, and it's transformed uh, to see this commission that God had given him through to its end. I think that's in a measure what wholeness looks like, what we've been talking about in this series. Connecting ourselves to God fully so that God can get in there and do what needs to be done at times. There's a sort of clarity there of where God has you in a certain moment and what you're feeling about it. It's a bringing together of those two into harmony so there is wholeness. Now I want to end today about talking just really quickly about practically how we can do this well. All right, and, and I want to talk about praying the daily office. Okay, this is just a regular practice of prayer. Some call it this daily office. Some call it a quiet time. Uh, some call it, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Hanging out with God in the morning and before bed at night. You can use whatever language you want. Traditionally, this has kind of been known as something called the daily office, though. And this is sort of a regular practice of us morning and evening coming before ourselves to God in a sort of guided prayer that really does, I think, can help us to examine our depths. And there's so many places you can go for this. I'm not gonna tell you like the one way to do this. There are a lot of apps out there. I actually use a couple of different apps. I kind of go back and forth between on different times of the day. You can get a good devotional. You can just pray through the Psalms. You can just read a Psalm in the morning, pray through it, offer it back up to God. But the thing is, is the more, because this is hard, right? Like theoretically, I'm, I'm presenting all this stuff to you. And sure, it makes a lot of sense in, like, a 35 minute sermon, but, like, actually doing this, like, in and of ourselves as a regular habit, is tough, okay? We are good at deceiving ourselves. We are good at, you know, uh, redirecting. We, we're good at sort of squirming our way out of these uh, sorts of regular prayers to God. And doing it on a regular basis, giving ourselves more touch points, more opportunities to examine our hearts in prayer, continually offering them back up to God, makes it easier for us to really do this. Okay, more opportunities for us to search our own hearts out or maybe to, better to put it, to be searched out by God. If you're only praying like once or twice a week, it's gonna be really hard to regularly do this for yourself. Okay, so that's why it matters so much that we do this on a regular basis, okay? So I'm encouraging you here to do this well, to do what I talked about here today well. Do this regularly, pray regularly, pray in a guided way. Pray through prayers that make you confess sin, that make you ask yourselves deep questions. Pray through scripture, like the Psalms, where people are regularly going to level five, connecting the deepest parts of their internal world to God. Read through it. See if you resonate with any of it. It could be praise. It could be lament. Okay? Find that in yourself, and don't be afraid to offer it up to God, because when we do that, we can be made whole. The cries of our hearts can be heard, and God can use that to transform it into the redemption of his whole world. We're going to do a, a, a time of communion now. This is a time for us to reflect on what God has done, to take communion together as a people, um, to, to take uh, and, and sort of see our community with one another as we um, all at once take this communion uh, with, with each other, to show our sort of solidarity as people who follow the crucified and risen Lord, the sin-bearing God and you have uh, communion cups in front of you um, if you're here. If you're at home and you want to take communion with us and you have some bread or grape juice or even something close to that, if you've got some grape soda uh, or crackers or whatever, go ahead and, uh, and grab that and just take communion with us. Reflect for a moment on yourself before the God who we know takes uh, our sin, takes all of us onto himself gladly. And ask yourself, is there a part of myself I've been hiding, I've been holding back from God that I need to offer up to him as we take some time uh, to worship? Let me pray. Lord, thank you that you stretch your arms out to us on the cross as an offer for us to cast ourselves onto you. God, taking all of that on yourself in empathy in forgiveness, in transformation, God, whatever it is we put upon you, God, you welcomely take, you empathize, you you grieve with us for some of it, you, you transform other parts of it, God, but you take it all on yourselves. I pray that we would not be people who are afraid to offer up the deep parts of ourselves to you so that we may be connected to you. The cries of our soul may be heard and we may find wholeness as we follow after the shepherd. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.